everyone. This is Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, uh, Security Boulevard, and we're here for another DevOps chat. I'm really lucky to be joined by an old friend of mine for this chat, none other than Simon Crosby, who is the CTO of a, of a hot company out there called Swim.ai. Simon, welcome. Thanks, Alan. It's great to speak to you again. Thank you. It's always it's actually my pleasure, Simon. For maybe we have some young young ones in the audience who maybe aren't familiar with the one and only Simon Crosby. Why don't you give folks a little background of of how you came to be here today? A little bit of well, I I was lucky enough to co-found a company called ZenSource, which built and maintained the open source Zen hypervisor. Mm -hmm. um, which was, so ZenSource was bought by Citrix, but Zen went on to fame because we built Amazon AWS. Yeah. And then on from there, I then co-founded a company called Bromium, which used micro-virtualization to do security. Yeah. Um, and that has, funnily enough, turned also into Amazon's micro-virtualization, which they very recently open source, as well as the micro-virtualization in Azure. So... You know, in many ways, you've you've given birth to given birth to you've you've helped launch so many of the key technologies that are powering the 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 cloud today, right? It's um, fun. Yeah, you know, I I think a lot of people tend to think hypervisor VMware, and they forget really how important Zen was and still is. Still is. It still has more VMs than any other hypervisor on the planet. Absolutely. And then, and then Bromian too. I mean, my, Bromian the micro segmentation, micro perimeterization, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It, it again was a. I mean, it was really a defining moment, you know. Yeah. In so terms of how we approach security. So what Bromian does is every single task on the OS, so every tab in your browser, every document you open goes into its own little micro VM. Right. So those things are tiny, and um, so if bad guys show up, it's they don't care. Um, that technology has gone into Windows 10. It's coming out in stages from Microsoft, and it's also available in Azure and in um, AWS. Fantastic. But enough about that. We're here to talk about Swim.ai. And um, I'm going to assume that most of our audience probably has not heard of Swim.ai. They yeah. may get from the title that it is based on Swim, but... They may or may not even know Swim. Why don't you clue us in, Simon? Well, the name is kind of a clue. It's software in motion. It, we're focusing on the edge. In fact, intelligent edge computing. And so I'm going to bend your mind a bit with the definition here. Um, we're all familiar with cloud and cloud computing as a set of abstractions for building stuff, not as a place, right? So when we right. think of edge, I'd like you to think of edge computing as needing a set of abstractions. And I think the, the current abstractions we use for cloud don't apply very well at the edge. So let's think of the edge computing as a new set of abstractions, the ones that we need to deal with the world which is generating more data than we can ever hope to store. And so what are the abstractions to do intelligent computing on that? Now, when we talk about edge intelligence, I mean, I guess four things. First of all, self-training and inference, mm -hmm. analytics, any form of query, MapReduce, relational, graph type query, or any old other thing that you might want to throw into data to analyze. And the key 
challenges with the current paradigms, the cloud world, which has been so tremendously successful, is really three things. Um, rest, stateless computing, yeah. and the notion of a database. And all of these things are vital for all of the apps that we know and love today, but they completely screw up everything that you try and do at the edge. So just think about it this way. If I have an event coming off some sensor at the edge and I throw it up to a, an AWS Lambda thing, Mm -hmm. which then goes and looks up the old value in a database, does some computation, then puts a new value in the database, you know, that's probably taken 100 milliseconds, 50 milliseconds maybe. You know, if I'm running towards the edge in a distributed application, that's tens of billions of CPU cycles. Okay. Yeah. And so this notion of forgetting everything, which is really useful for scaling out the cloud, is terrible at the edge. What you want is a stateful model. And so a stateful computation is fundamental in the edge. NB's written a device driver knows this. Um, and, and distribution is fundamental. Computing on data as it is generated, which means learning on the fly, analyzing on the fly, are fundamental. Cool. Okay, so not storing things on disks and then pulling it off later because then you're analyzing past it and you can only reason about the past. Yeah. Um, and we have to reason about things as they happen and respond in real time. You know what's interesting about this to me, Simon, is so I guess it's got to be what, 2004, 2005, we start, you know, really seeing the cloud go mainstream, if you will. And you know what, AWS is beginning of 2006. Okay, so fair enough. Um, Salesforce obviously is a long time ago, but we go. Yeah, but you know, with this this thing, the cloud, right? And remember how it kind of exploded on the scene. And you're talking to someone who started an ASP back in the late '90s, was hosting Lotus Notes before there were hypervisors and clouds and and yeah, you know, uh, bandwidth. But anyway. Part and parcel of the cloud, though, was this notion that there would be this centralized, if not, but it would be distributed, sort of center weight where certain computation and hosting like database, et cetera, would, would, and storage would, would happen at that nebulous cloud. But there was always supposed to be the other piece of it, the edge, right? There was the cloud and the edge. And we got so enamored with the cloud and so much happened with AWS and Azure and Google and, and a million other clouds out there, hybrid and all privates. And we, 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 we forgot about the edge for about. Well, I think, I, I mean, I want to be a little bit generous here. I think job one was to get enterprise IT out of bringing in IT, you know, words, get out of running exchange server and all these things, right? Move them away because Gosh, you know, let them run, let somebody else run that stuff for you. It's not mission critical. So, you know, the trillion dollars of traditional enterprise IT needs to get pushed to the cloud, and that's happening, you know, at a, at a huge pace today. And you see the winners emerging there. Um, but there's another trend which is happening, and that is that, well, if you look at ARM, you know, ARM is licensing 20 billion cores a year. Wow. That's a big number of CPUs and every one of those is going to be connected and generating data. 
And so that is a trend which is caught up. It's because everything is smart now, right? You can embed these cores in anything. And so when you deal with the world which has got that much data coming out of it, um, we have to do something other than simply save anything and save everything in a big data store and think about it later. Because there will never be a later. There is so much data coming out. And so there is a fundamental requirement that we process data on the fly. I'm going to introduce you a slightly mind-twisting thought. There is going to be so much data that things have to write their own programs. There aren't enough humans to write programs for the things, right? No, no, I agree. Things, things generating data will learn experientially a little bit like you do. Okay, you form a hypothesis about the world, you see the way the world develops, and then you change your hypothesis. So things will do that, and they will learn on their own data. And in learning, what I mean is you, you might, they're writing a program, effectively these things, right? So the program might be the weights of a DNN or something, and you might not understand what it means, but when they have absorbed enough data, they're really good at understanding their world and predicting the way it will evolve around them. And that's the way the world is going, that things write their own programs. You know, I, 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 had, to, I had a conversation with a guy named Luke Keeley about two or three years ago. Luke was the founder, CEO at the time of Puppet. And, and he, he had a similar thing. He said, Alan, it may not be this year, next year, five years, or maybe even 10 years or more. But there will come a time where the software needs to write its own software. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it just, it just, the human, the humans are the bottleneck, right? The human is the resource constraint. Well, actually, I mean, there, we're on DevOps podcast, but, you know, there will never be DevOps for my yogurt factory in Parang, Illinois. I'm telling you, there just will never be that. There aren't enough people to do this, right? And so we have to. We have to yeah, no, no, you go. I was because I agree with you. I mean, the, what do you, I mean? The the human is the single, just like in security. A lot of times it was you know the, this, that was the problem. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. And so more automation is key. By the way, there's another skill set which I think is hypothesized too much, and that is data science. I mean, programmers are rare. Good programmers, rarer. Data scientists, good luck trying to find one. I mean, it's hard to find, right? And so there is this workflow which both Amazon, well, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google posit, which is this. Collect all the data, somebody builds a model, trains the model, and then pushes this model towards the edge where it can do inference. You know, that's just hypothetical nonsense. Okay, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Go ahead. It, and by the way, so first of all, you're going to collect all the data. And by the way, they, they're happy if you do that because then you're stuck. Right. Because right? then you're stuck on that cloud. Um, exactly. And then, you know, you've got to find this person to build a model and train it. That's really hard. And if the data is wrong, then you get um, over underfitting. And then you've got to push all this stuff to the edge. No one knows how to do that. It's just no, not. They don't. You know, I, I was I was talking. I guess it was maybe last week. 
a friend of mine, actually from this gym we go to, she's a, a recruiter. She was recruiting down in San Jose. And they're trying to get Hadoop uh, folks. And they're just basic Hadoop programmers. And, and Simon, look, I know things are crazy in the Valley. I, I think they were paying maybe two hundred dollars or $250,000. And they, Unbelievable. They, they can't find them, though. They can't yeah. hire them. There's not enough people with that data scientist, with that type of big data. Yeah, there, there aren't. Um, and and I think, you know, as we move towards a more real-time business environment, organizations are going, let's, let's posit a future for enterprise IT. Enterprise IT, as you know, today needs to change towards something where the gunk is dealt with by somebody else. And then enterprise IT needs to feed real-time insights for different components of the business to the stakeholders so they can make better decisions. Okay? Yep. And whether that's supply chain or employees or whatever it happens to be, we need to put enterprise IT into position to deliver real-time insights. And how, do they, how are they going to do that? That's a very interesting problem. Absolutely. But there's something else to what you said too, Simon, that I want to hit on. And that is, you know, you mentioned, what is, what'd you say? ARM had 20 billion or licensed 20 billion CPUs. Yeah. Per year. Per year. Yeah. To me, you know, you look at Uber, right? Some people will argue, is Uber a software company? Is Uber a ride company? What is Uber? What Uber really was is they saw a glut of 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 a resource, right? People had cars that they weren't using all the time that yeah. they could monetize, right? right? To a certain extent, it's the same thing here. The amount of computing power on the edge, or potential computing power on the edge, yeah, so massive, right? Yeah, it's huge. And um, so let me get you're absolutely right. So let me give you a really shocking example. So we solved this problem of prediction of traffic. Um, and I'll give you two ways of doing it. And my example is the city of Palo Alto in California. Mm -hmm. And so we get about four terabytes a day from, from Palo Alto. That's bigger than Twitter. Wow. Bigger than all of Twitter. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you could take all that data and push it up to AWS Lambda into a model and then learn and predict. Okay, cool. That'll cost you about $8,000 a month. Okay, and learning at the edge, as the data streams off the infrastructure, we bought no new hardware, and it costs us pennies. Wow. Okay, so I'm saying thousands of times wow. cheaper yeah. than AWS. Okay, so rest, rest, statelessness, and databases are my enemy number one. And then you're absolutely right. There is a ton of unused CPU towards the edge out in this distributed real world. Nature pours a vacuum. And, and if I have 10 billion spare CPUs, I mean, I can do an inferencing cycle on Raspberry Pi in the time that takes a packet to get from the city to AWS. AWS and then coming back. We're done, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Simon, as I mentioned, the time goes really quick. I, I want to focus because you, your marketing people will appreciate it. Swim AI, how, how can people engage? How, you know, 
How, what do you recommend? How do they engage? Okay, so what, what is SWIM? SWIM is a platform for application developers that want to develop massively distributed, stateful, real-time applications. Okay? It's a tiny 2-megabyte extension to JVM, okay, mm. which deploys and replaces a huge stack of cloud-based stuff um, including the analytics and learning software, the pipelines, PubSub, um, all the databases you might want, okay? So we replace millions and millions of lines of code with something very simple, and it's an extension of JVM because that way we get architecture independence. We found ourselves running ARM and x86 and everything else all at the same time. And all you have to do is define what's in your data, and then Swim builds a model for you, trains the model, and does inference and prediction. Okay? So simple, right? So we, right. the goal here is to make it simple for somebody who is a competent Java programmer to get into the business of doing really complex analytical stuff on streaming data towards the edge. Excellent. And, and obviously the website is swim.ai. Yeah, yeah. developer.swim.ai is where you'd go and download it and run apps and everything else. We download, you can download the platform as well as the example apps. So if you want to do something like New Relic, download Swim, stick in each one of your VMs and you're up and running in a, in a flash. Excellent. So, Simon, I think I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You have, I mean, your reputation precedes you, your accomplishments. What, what got you really excited about SwimAid.ai? You know, if you can deliver improvements in performance and timeliness, which are in the orders of thousands, not 10x, 1,000x, okay, and really change the world in dramatic way, that's really exciting. So let me just, let me give you a, a, um, a somewhat critical you know, view of the cloud, right? The cloud vendors make huge margins keeping memory warm for lots and lots of copies of Windows or Linux. Okay? Uh-huh. And most okay. of it is idle. <laughs> most I got it. of those things are sitting there doing nothing while rest happens. And we've moved compute from binary into these ASCII-based rest interfaces with lots and lots of parsing. Okay, cool. And now you're paying for it. Yeah. What I'm saying is that you can do that same competition really enormously cheaply towards the edge on stuff you already own. And that's very interesting. And I, I could see it. Well, it's what I suspected. Well, Simon, um, people can go to the website to find out more. Are you talking in any conferences or the companies? Yeah, so we're launching, launching Swim at, at the Developer Week in Oakland on Thursday. This Thursday, which would yeah. be February 21st. Yeah. Well, by the time this is up, that might have passed, but they can probably check it out there and see it at the website. Well, Simon, you know, if it's anything like the other stuff you work on, this is going to be great. Thank you, so, sir. It's a great we'll pleasure to spend time with you. We'll, uh, we'll be watching you closely. We wish you lots of luck. And, you know, living life on the computing edge. It's fun. It is fun. Hey, man, it's great catching up with you, and best of luck, Simon. Thank you, Alan. It's great to speak to you again. All righty. Simon Crosby, CTO of Swim.ai. Check him out. Uh, 
computing on the edge. This is Alan Schimmel for DevOps.com. Have a great day, everyone.